for today. I do want to pursue a theme that we've kind of been singing through. And you may have noticed, or maybe you didn't, we're going to talk about the theme of waiting. All right? Waiting on God here. And we're going to be in Isaiah 64. If you'd like to go ahead and turn there, you can. Uh, the text is on the wall. If you didn't bring a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, if you'd let us know, we'd love to get one for you. But if you do have a Bible, this is just a little bit over halfway in the Old Testament. All right? It's one of the longer books you'll find there, Isaiah this prophet. And we're going to be towards the tail end of this, of this writing. Uh, and we'll be there in just a few minutes. But I want to talk here initially, right? So the title of this thought today is The Waiting Room. The Waiting Room. Did anybody just cringe? Like seeing the title of that, did that make anybody, did you have a flashback? Or did it kind of put you in a mood? You know, it's amazing how our mood can change by just a picture, you know, or by a phrase. You, know, you hear a song that you loved back in the day. I don't know if you guys have seen that commercial and this guy's in a bad mood and he's got his earbuds in and all of a sudden his favorite song comes on and he just starts going crazy. Right? And he's in the middle of a store and he's just banging his head and singing as loud as he can. Everybody's staring at him. Right? Like Sometimes things just have a way of catching our attention, putting us back in a time and place. So maybe you read The Waiting Room and you're like, oh, I don't want to go to The Waiting Room. Anybody had a bad experience in a waiting room? Nobody? I would beg to differ. I would say we've probably had some bad experiences. Well, none of you look glad right now. And I'm sure I'm not presenting that vibe either. So when you think of the waiting room, what does that kind of brew in you? What does that stir in you? What is your emotion? What is your thought process? What comes to mind? I'm sorry? Patience. Waiting for good news. Hey, I like the way you said that. Yeah. Waiting for the unknown. Oh, yeah. That's hard. Somebody else? The waiting room? Okay. Yeah, a little anxious. A whole lot anxious, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sounds like a lonely place, the waiting room. Hmm. Yeah, it's out of your hands. Anybody else, the waiting room? So it sounds like we've been there before, right? Sounds like we've been there. And is there such thing as a good waiting room? What about when maybe a child is about to be born? Right? I mean, there can be some anxiety there too, right? You're worried about if this is going to come okay, everybody's going to be safe and healthy, but there's also kind of that positive vibe like, hey, we've got a new little life coming into our family here and this is really cool. So it's true, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, sometimes it's positive, right? And even as Christians, there can be a positive waiting room and some of our study today was geared that direction. If you guys were following that study, you would see that you know, Paul was talking about Jesus' return. And so we are to live today in light of that return. And so this makes this world, our time here, our lifespan, just this whole thing is the waiting room. And we should anticipate what's ahead of us with some excitement and joy and gladness, those sorts of things. 
Right? But I think most of the time we think the waiting room, it puts a damper on our spirit or kind of makes us stressed or frustrated or impatient. All these things here that you guys have, have just mentioned. So we've probably been in a doctor's office waiting room. You've been in a dentist's waiting room? Hospital waiting room? All right, what about the principal's waiting room? And have you been in that room? No? <laughs> I don't think I was there. Doesn't mean I shouldn't have been there maybe on occasion, but I don't remember being in uh, the Mr. and Mrs. office there. Uh, what about the employer's waiting room? And when you're waiting on maybe a job interview or you're waiting, you know, hey, I need to talk to you later today, and you're like, oh, really? You know, it's just kind of disheartening, like, what's this about? You know, this is, and it's always negative, right? I mean, that's where we always, it's always negative. I'm getting fired, or I didn't do something right, or I've offended somebody, or they're cutting my pay, reducing my hours, shifting me to a different assignment. It seems we always go, at least maybe I do, always drift to how bad this be. What about the mechanic waiting room? You ever sat at the dealership and just fret and stew? Or sat at the automotive repair place? Yeah, like, how much is this going to cost? I mean, I came in for an oil change four hours ago, you know? I could have done it myself in four hours. And so now you're wondering, like, what's going on? And you go back to the window and they tell you, well, we've run into a few issues here. We found some things wrong with your vehicle. And you just start sweating it, right? I was planning to spend 25 bucks or 50 bucks, and now I'm spending maybe 2,500 bucks. And now I'm going to have to buy a new car, and I'm going to have to sell my house and my kids. And it's like, it just gets to the extreme where everything is terrible, right? That waiting room can be a really difficult place. Uh, and so, hey, the next time you're in that room and you get great customer service, really compliment the nurse or the secretary or the mechanic or whoever it is, all right? Because they're dealing with our stress and they're dealing with our worry and they're dealing with our little short kind of comebacks. What do you mean it costs that much? I didn't ask you to do that. What do you mean that's what's wrong with me? I just came in for my health exam and you tell me I'm sick, right? So they deal with this. I was talking to a guy here this week. Stopped in our bug guy, and he had had a bad morning, and he just needed somebody to talk to. So for he sprayed the church in record pace. I was trying to keep up with him. He just running, <laughs> sprayed everything. He's running, and so we get back here to the door, and for thirty minutes he spoke, and I just kind of, mm -hmm. man, I hate to hear that. That stinks, doesn't it? And he says, well, you know how it is. You deal with people all the time, aren't they? Always on your back and in your business, and. The, no, I don't really have that problem. And Well, but you know what it is to deal with people. I was like, well, okay, yeah, so I'll go with you. And so he was just, he was having a rough morning, right? Uh, so sometimes that happens. People who are in customer service business deal with customers like us who just aren't willing to be served, regardless of what you do for us. And so that waiting room can create lots of havoc, lots of panic, lots of struggle. I'm reminded here of a, of a family you guys may have followed that are in Mount Vernon, We've prayed for them. You remember a girl named Tristan? About 18 months ago, Tristan was either coming out of church or going to church, and she was, had to walk a highway, parking lot here, highway, church. And she was crossing the highway to go or come from church, and a car hit her about 18 months ago. And so she was in the hospital for a long time. They didn't think she was going to recover. Uh, lots of prayer. I mean, just prayer went around the world for this family. And the mother kept us updated. And you would just see, like, as Tristan began to turn, as she peaked, it's like she came down the hill running. 
Because when she started getting better, she got better. I mean, it wasn't just like, we hope you can walk again. It was like, she's cheerleading again. And she's doing these different things again, like things we never thought she could do. And so her parents praised that as a miracle and gave God thanks for that. Well, just like during the middle of our camp season here, maybe a few weeks ago on I-57, right down by camp, uh, her and her friend graduated high school this year, heading one direction, and a car comes from the other direction and crosses the median, hits them head on, kills her friend who's the driver, and Miss Tristan's back in the hospital. And so I can just imagine, I can't imagine, but I'm just, if I was that mother or that dad sitting in that waiting room, like, I can't believe we're here again. Like, that waiting room would be like, almost like a, a living hell here. Is that okay? You know what I mean? Like, how do I get here? You would think as a parent, I have already been through this. Like, I shouldn't have to do this again. It couldn't get any worse than what I've just went through, my child being run over. And here she is being, you know, in another car wreck. I mean, what are the odds of that? And so I'm sure if they were here to talk with us this morning, the waiting room would have a real, like you were saying, alone, like a coldness, a darkness, um, just that sterile, I don't want to be here. You know, I don't know that anybody wakes up and plans to be in the waiting room, hopes to be there any morning. Um, but inevitably we find ourselves in these, in these positions where they're, you know, it's at the high school or at the middle school or at the mechanic or at the doctor's office or even at your house. Did you have a waiting room at your house? Wasn't that the worst thing? My waiting room was my bedroom. You know, and I can remember as a child getting in trouble and my dad or mom would send me to my room and they were going to give me some time to think and then was coming the consequence. So what was harder, the waiting or the consequence? The waiting was much harder. Like the consequence would come and go and I could cry or whatever and get that over with or the grounding, okay, I'll take it, whatever. But it's the whole waiting process was, you know, you think, well, I'm in my room, I could sit and read a book, I could take a nap, I could play with some toys, you know, color, whatever, as a young child. But you're not doing anything. You're just sitting on your bed and your legs are just shaking and all you can think about is watching that little doorknob turn, hearing the squeak of those hinges and just, it's hard to wait nerve-wracking to wait so that's why we've sung today Lord teach me teach me to wait so we're going to talk about God's waiting room and God's waiting room isn't necessarily a closet that we go get into it's not a facility like this as I mentioned earlier God's waiting room is really every day that we spend here until the moment we're with him right there are moments along the way where he leads us and he prods us and he answers prayer but more often than not, we're walking in days where we're waiting for an answer to prayer. Or we're walking in a day where we're doing what we know to do, but we're still looking for clarity. Or we're still looking for wisdom to make a good decision. We're still wondering what's the next step. Like sometimes I read the Bible and we come across people's stories in 90 seconds their whole life. And it seems like there was a spotlight from heaven that shone on their next step that showed them every step to take. You guys ever read the Bible that way? It's like everything they did was with God and he was just right in their ear and they never had to just go a day waiting. The reality is we just read little snippets of people's life who live for many, many years doing the same thing that you and I are doing. Waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. And so today we're going to talk into, look into what does it mean to live on this waiting room, in this waiting room, anticipating his return, but also dealing with the things of our life. Uh, so I'm going to read through some different verses here. This is throughout the Bible. Like in my translation, 129 times the word wait was used. 
most of those were a reference to waiting on, on the Lord. Right? So here's some examples of this. Back in Numbers, and so what's happened here? God has delivered the nation of Israel uh, from Egypt, and they're to celebrate that, this Passover celebration every year. All right, so they were having this Passover, and it was to be the first month, the 14th day, and it was a big party. It was a big to-do, giving thanks to God for everything that he had done. It was a great celebration. Well, what was going on, there were some people who had a family member or friend who had died, and they were ceremonially unclean, which means they could not attend the festival. They couldn't go to the Passover. And so they came to Moses and said, what do we do? You know, we want to go give sacrifice. We want to go celebrate. We want to give thanks for how God delivered us. I mean, that was amazing. That's still fresh in our mind. And here's what Moses said. Moses answered these guys. He says what? Wait. Wait. Wait until I find out what the Lord commands concerning you. So here we're waiting on the Lord. Whatever God says is what you're going to have to do. Now, you may or may not remember how that story ends. For them, they were able to celebrate it. It was just a month later. All right? So their celebration came on the 14th day of the second month when they were ceremonially clean and they could observe Passover. But there was a month of waiting. All right? Here in Psalms, we've got David. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you and I what? And I wait. And I wait. And I wait expectantly. In Proverbs here, do not say, I'll pay you back for this is wrong, for this wrong, rather, I'll pay you back for this wrong, but wait for the Lord and he will avenge you. You ever been there? Fist drawn? Somebody's punched you out, maybe literally or maybe just with their words, and they've taken a stab at you like a dagger to the heart and you're ready to lash right back at them, and in your mind you hear, but wait on the Lord. He will be your avenger. Lamentations. Here you've got Jeremiah writing. He says, it's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So we're getting some ideas of what it looks like here to wait. Uh, Hosea writes and says, but you must return to your God. Maintain love and justice and wait for your God always. All right? That's pretty significant. Paul writes and says, for the creation waits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. All creation is under the same curse and they're waiting the same wait. And they're like, bring it on. Come on, hurry this thing along. There's just some groaning and some impatience to wind this down. Writing of Abraham in Hebrews. Abraham received what was promised when? After he waited patiently. Right? So Abraham kind of got ahead of the plan of God, don't you think? He got the cart before the horse. I promise to bless you and make you uh, many nations and the whole world will be blessed through you and it didn't happen in their timetable and so his wife says, here, take my handmaid. Maybe you can have offspring with her. And they got ahead of God and it created all sorts of trouble just running a little bit ahead of God. All they needed to do was wait. After he waited patiently, Abraham received what was promised. And so the Lord teaches to wait. James here, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. All right, so it's just this reminder that Jesus is coming. All sorts of stuff we're trying to get done here, right? You've got plans for this week. You've got plans for the next month. We've got plans for the next year or two years of our life, what they're going to look like. Don't make any plans outside 
of the light of the return of Christ. Right? Wait for that. Make sure that's priority in all the planning that, that you're doing, the planning that I'm doing. So be patient, stand firm, because his coming is, is near. He says, wait like a farmer. Right? Wait like a farmer. How silly would it be for uh, our farmer back here, Mr. Rapp, to come and plant all the soybeans that he did, invest all the money, spend the gas, spray, fertilize, to come back two days later and go, nothing grew. I guess I'll plow it over and start again. That would be silly, right? That's just a waste of money. It just takes time. It takes time, and that's called waiting. It's called waiting, and there's a harvest, and there's a reward, and God has promised all sorts of things for those who wait. But what we're seeing here is this, this has been the process of people since the beginning of time. Waiting on God. Waiting on God. So we're to be patient and wait just as all these have as well. All right, so Isaiah, let's go there. Isaiah 64. And we're going to find Isaiah in the middle of a prayer here. And he's praying with some other people, Israelites who are believers. Um, they found themselves in a difficult situation because they rebelled against the Lord. And so now they're begging for God to remove them out of this difficulty. And God is not answering like this. And so they are what? They're waiting. They're in their waiting room. Okay? And so while we're in the waiting room, what are some things that we do while we wait is what we're going to get into. But let's read kind of this is the middle of the prayer. We'll, we'll touch the beginning later. But here's what he says. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. And so since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for Him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? And that's going to go on and outline what that looks like. The next couple of verses there talk about our good deeds as filthy rags. You've probably heard those verses before. Uh, it's going to go on to talk about how we can be saved through the one who has interposed himself, just as we sung through here this morning. Um, but today we're going to highlight just a few things here what it means to wait on the Lord. What does it actually look like? All right? What's it look like? So you can follow along here. If you want to write them down, you can. No grades. You're not turning them in. That's totally your call. One, we're gladly to do what is right. All right? We're to do gladly the things that are right. So think with me for a moment. I didn't hear anybody say, in the waiting room, I'm glad. In the waiting room, I rejoice. In the waiting room, there is happiness. There's reason. To be thankful. Right? We talk about the waiting room and we say it's alone and it's cold and it's out of our control and it's that we are impatient and we're kind of self-absorbed and we get frustrated and we get anxious and we get more anxious. And it seems like frustration and gladness don't go hand in hand, do they? Like waiting and being glad seem to be two things that would be opposite one another. You know, things that we've talked about before like jumbo shrimp. That doesn't make sense. White chocolate, those two things that just don't seem to go together here. Gladness and waiting. Right? You put a child in a corner and just watch how they get glad. Right? What we say to them is, 
Well, you can get glad in the same pants that you got mad in, right? But it's not going to happen. Not without some coaching or coaxing, right? Nobody's waits and all of a sudden is refreshed. I say nobody, but we should be bodies. There should be a lot of bodies, a lot of people who are learning what it is to be made glad even in the midst of, of waiting. And so let's go back and read this here in verse 5. This is, really, this is just a, an explanation of the end of verse 4. Verse 4 ends and says that God acts on behalf of those who wait for Him. God acts on behalf of those who wait for Him. Did you get that? If you walk out with nothing else, walk out with that. God acts on behalf of those who wait for Him. And so this is a picture of those who wait. You come to the help of those who gladly do right and who remember your ways. And so initially here we're talking about gladly doing right. See, the problem is sometimes we equate waiting with doing nothing. And if I'm doing nothing, I'm not usually that happy. Right? Unless I'm stressed or overworked, those sorts of things. And doing nothing sometimes brings some refreshment or some, um, some joy. But typically I find my joy in my doing so when we fail to sit still, we may find ourselves struggling to find the gladness in the moment. You ever got frustrated waiting at a stoplight? It, it turns green in the same amount of time every time. And sometimes we pull up to it and we don't pay any attention to it. And sometimes we pull up and we're like, is this thing ever going to turn green? And we're nudging our car out there. You know, we're trying to trick the lights. Come on, come on, turn green, turn green. Sometimes we have a hard time waiting. It's like waiting at the DMV. I don't know if you've ever been there waiting for them to call your number. That's a real pleasant experience, right? You sit there and you just wait and you wait and you wait and you feel like, man, I'm wasting time. There's so much more I could be doing. Listen, often I run ahead of God for that very mentality. Instead of waiting on God to prod, waiting on God to lead, I kind of leave God, but, you know, here I'll pray. Okay, God, lead me. Okay, I don't know what you're asking, so here I go. You know, there's a song that came out a year or two ago and I really liked it initially and then it just it rubbed me wrong. Like the whole song is somebody's got to do something. Right? Just go do something. Well, show me that in the Scriptures. Open your Bible and find where it says somebody go do something. Right? When somebody goes and does something, you get Ishmael. Remember Ishmael? Son of Hagar? The one that Abraham didn't wait for, all right? He ran ahead of God and he got in a lot of trouble, lots of conflict in their own marriage, in their own family, within uh, people groups there, communities, nations, all because one man wouldn't wait on God. And yet sometimes I feel like I've got to do something. God, what's the program that we can implement here at Peace Church that's going to connect us to this community? And so I'm looking to adopt, 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 adopt. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And, and let's do it here rather than just wait on the Lord. Do what you know to do is what this is talking about. Gladly do right. Do what you know to do. What do you know to do today that you don't need God's prodding in? And that's not rhetorical. You can answer that. What's something you know to do today that you don't need God to prod you to do? Pray. Love people. Read the Word. Anything else? <laughs> it's full of stuff, right? 
Hear what we've done this morning. Make a joyful noise. Right? All the earth, make a joyful noise. We sang it this morning. Tune my heart to sing your, your praise. Right? Songs of loudest praise. When I think about who you are, so part of my life is to be singing. It's to give God praise. That just I don't need to come in here and sit and go, okay, God, what do you want me to do today? And do nothing because God hasn't revealed what he wants me to do. He's revealed all sorts of things. You've got a neighbor in need, what do you do? You help him. Brother or sister in need, what do you do? You help him. Remember, John wrote and said, if you don't love the brother or sister beside you who has a need, what makes you think you can tell people you love God that you can't even see? Or you've got the ability to help when you don't. That's nothing like God. Right? And so there's all sorts of ways where to help. Serve with gladness. Um, bear with one another. Pray with one another. All right? Assemble together. And make that the habit. Uh, not just when there's nothing else to do. That's, that's the commitment. That's what it looks like to be part of the body. And just on a side note, how, how happy would you be if your left elbow checked out every other week? I mean, your left elbow was actually gone. You'd be frustrated, wouldn't you? Your body would be hindered. So one of the analogies of a body is we're connected, right? Just stick it. It may hurt, may stink, you may struggle, but we're bound. Right? So we know to do those things. All I'm saying is, waiting on the Lord doesn't mean do nothing. It's not prop your feet up in your lazy boy and watch TV and I'm waiting for the sign from heaven to go do something. Do what you know to do and do it with gladness as you wait. What is maybe the bigger next step? What is the wisdom in this decision? I don't have clarity yet. I'm not going to make that decision yet. But that doesn't mean I don't do anything. In light of what I'm waiting on, I'm still going to do the things that I know to do. So wait on the Lord. Psalmist wrote this also here. He says, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. That, that phrase there, take heart, can also mean be encouraged or be of courage. There's a song of that, wait on the Lord, be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart. Right? So it's the idea that I can wait and still be glad. I can wait and rejoice. I cannot know what the next step is and be just fully satisfied within my spirit. And that's what we're hearing here from Isaiah. All right, this is what it looks like to wait. God acts on behalf of those who wait for him rather than go ahead and try to do something in his name and ask him to hurry up and catch up and bless what it is I've determined needs to be done. Wait on the Lord. Gladly do what is right. And we can do that knowing that he's always at work. All right, so gladly do what is right. Gladly do what is right. Be thankful that you've got the privilege to partner in the mission of the church. Be thankful that you're partnered together with his bride. You know, invest in that. Enjoy that. Learn to love one another. Learn what's my gifts and how can I be of benefit to the body that God's connecting me to. All right, two here. As we wait on the Lord, we're to remember his ways. And so the picture here is, let's remember how God has acted in the past. All right, think about what God has done in the past and we know that God's going to help us then as we move in the present and the future, right? Uh, what was sung about here beautifully this morning. We're to remember his ways. So Psalm 64 really jumps in in the middle of a prayer. When you back up to Psalm 63, you'll find there the beginning of the prayer. So you've got praise, then you've got this prayer from Isaiah and these people. And here's kind of the context. They had walked with God, and they had found blessing. They had found favor. There was all sorts of benefits. Like they were living the dream, basically. Just knowing the Lord and living out His promises and seeing those fulfilled and seeing Him move in miraculous ways. They were just loving life. 
And yet there was a shift that took place. And what it says up to the point we're going to read is that they rebelled against the Lord. And because of that, God turned against them. He made them his enemy. And now he was going to bring some consequence because of their rebellion. And so he fights against them. Notice what happens as the result of these things. Verse 11 begins, Then his people recalled the days of old. Then his people recalled the days of old. The days of Moses and his people. Where, where is he who brought them through the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he who set his Holy Spirit among them, who sent his glorious arm of power to be at Moses' right hand, who divided the waters before them to gain for himself everlasting renown? Where is he who led them through the depths like a horse in open country? They did not stumble. Like cattle that go down to the plain, they were given rest by the Spirit of the Lord. This is how you guided your people to make for yourself a glorious name. Okay? So what are these people doing? They're remembering His ways. Right? Much of our faith in today is built on how God was faithful in the past. And so they're remembering even though right now God is against us, even though they have desecrated the temple, even though Jerusalem is no more, even though we're exiled and we're being mistreated, God is still God. And so I recall these things. I bring them to, to my mind. And therefore, I'm encouraged or I find hope maybe just to continue to gladly do what I know is right. So as we're waiting on the Lord, as we're looking for clarity for maybe that next step, as we wait on Him through suffering or brokenness, the thing to remind yourself is there's no one like my God. There's no one like my God. Right? Jeremiah said that. The psalmist said that. That would be a good little verse for you to hang on to. There's no one like my God. I don't think I can go through this again, but there's no one like my God. I don't understand what next step you want me to take, but I do understand there's no one like my God. I can look at the future and just feel like, man, there's so many things unknown, but there are some things that I can know about my God, and so there's no one like Him. I can trust Him. Remind yourself of who your God is. We see that here again, verse 5. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, those who remember your ways. Now, in the preceding verse, Isaiah, again, is going to identify what it looks like to remember his ways. And so here's some other ways to think of God. Since ancient times, that is, since the beginning of time, no one has heard, no one has heard a God besides you. People have made all sorts of gods, but remember, God says over and over again, they're made with the hands of men, and they cannot what? They can't speak. All right? They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have eyes, but they cannot see. You've got to strap them on the back of camels to make them move. What kind of God is that? You've got to move your God. There's no one like you is what he's saying. No one has heard. No eye has perceived, that is, or ear. There's no understanding like you have. No eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Therefore, again, he says, remember your God. Remember his ways as you wait. Man, this stinks right now. Lord, this is hard. All right, remember his ways. I don't know what to do. Remember his ways. That's not the diagnosis I was expecting to hear. Remember his ways. That's not the conversation that I was planning on having with my spouse or my children or my employer or my friend or that stranger. That's not the way I anticipated that going. Okay, and wait on his ways. Remember who your God is. Learn him and then wait on him as you navigate 
this period of waiting. And then third here, let's go there. As we wait on the Lord, let's know that help is on the way. And this is a good reminder today. Even though Isaiah and all of Israel here are struggling, as they remembered who their God was, they were reminded it's just a matter of time. Okay? God doesn't work on my timetable. It's just a matter of time before his help is going to come and we're going to be delivered. And so in light of that, keep doing what you know to do. Do the good that you know to do. Now, does this say that God will respond to those who do good? Do good and God shows up? Pray plenty of prayers and God shows up? Give enough money and God shows up? No. It says wait. Wait on Him. Rather than try to do something to earn or to force His hand. Verse 5 again. All right? God works on behalf of those. He acts on behalf of those who wait for Him. Who are those who wait for Him? those who remember His ways, those who gladly do what's right. And these are the people who can bank on the fact that our God will come and bring His help. That's a promise. Help is on the way. You come to the help of those who, and you could just paraphrase that, who wait on you. So at the point of this writing, had Isaiah and Israel received the help? No. Okay? And yet there is hope. And their hope is in the fact that God has promised that he would come and act on behalf of those who wait. Their hope is in the reality of what they had experienced earlier in their life. And so they knew that God would be faithful here to show up in this day just as he was faithful in the past. Now, have you ever found yourself in like a time of need? I don't know what to do. I'm not sure what my next step is. I don't know how we're going to make ends meet. I don't know how to reconcile this relationship. You know, I don't know how to pursue something that's beyond my ability. And what we see here is that God works on behalf of those who wait for Him. He's promised to show up in our time of need. And what that should do for you and I is just stir our hearts to hope as we wait. So our waiting room doesn't have to be a place of nervousness. You know, when I'm in the waiting room, typically I'm focused most on me. Right? And I tend to have less time for other people because I'm thinking about who I'm waiting on. And I'm thinking about how's it going in there? You know, if this was a surgery, how's it going in there? It's taking longer than expected. I'm getting a little bit nervous. And so you may not get very good attention from me. My tone with you may not be great. All right, as I'm sitting in that waiting room because I'm focused on the things that I can't control or the things that I don't know. But when I focus on God that I can know, and what I can begin to do, even in the midst of that waiting room, is do what's right with gladness. There can be joy even in the midst of waiting. And as my heart is refreshed, and one of the things, one of the reasons we read and read and read and read the Bible over and over again and teach the same things over again and sing the same songs over again is because it refreshes in our memory who God is. It reminds us when we walk out of here on a Sunday, it realigns us as we walk out of here on a Sunday that we walk out of here with the help of God. We walk out of here with gladness knowing that we can do what's right even though we're not sure what this week holds for us. So the waiting room is not an easy place. It's usually not a desired place, but it tends to be a place where God works to build His people. Character is built when you wait. Right? Faith is built as you wait and you see God come through and be the answer to the prayer, the wisdom to the decision, the clarity for the next step, 
the peace for the broken heart, the comfort, whatever it is that's needed. When you see God answer and move and act as you wait, it strengthens and encourages your heart. And so, in closing, as we think this through today, what I want to just really help you or help me turn my mind to is what is it that I'm currently waiting on? I mean, everybody finds themselves in a waiting room as it relates to God. His Spirit's in us and He's there to provide and to teach, lead and guide, convict, console. But that often takes time. And so where do you find yourself right now? Like what, what is it that you're waiting on? What's your waiting room look like here today? You know, yes, there is something to be looking forward to. But until then, we wait. Until then, while we wait, we work. We do so with glad hearts. We remember who our God is, knowing that his help is on the way.